hug. Good morning, Beacon family. Oh, see, this sounds like people are in here. Blood is pumping. Good morning, Beacon family. Y'all, it's summer. Summer's here. How many people are happy that summer is here? Y'all lukewarm out here, man. How many people are happy that summer is here? Thank you. I love the summer, y'all. I love the summer. Grill corn, grill corn ministry. I love that, right? I love all of it. I love going outside. I love things slowing down. I like the sunlight just, just extending really, really late in the evening. And summer is an invitation for a lot of things. But one of the biggest things that I love about summer is, is like I said, the grills. Grilling. How, how, how many, we got any grill masters in the building? Any grill masters? Oh, so now he, he <laughs> But grill masters, there's a uniform for grill masters. Y'all know that uniform. Usually there's a hat. There's like a little dad hat. You know, I'm not going to say this corona, but use this corona somewhere, right? But, but there's also something in this community that, that I come from. There's a, there's a specific uniform that you got to rock. And if you don't have this thing on, we ain't going to eat what you got. I call, these the, I call these the Abraham 11s. If you do not have on the Abraham 11s, I'm not sure if I'm, 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 I want to eat what's coming off that grill, right? So I think this is particularly critical. Um, but beyond that, I love to host people. That's a big thing that I love to do. You guys know that I love hosting dinners and things, but I love grilling. I love hosting people. I don't wear the Abraham 11s, but I love to do that. But one of the things, it, what that means is that you got to do a lot of shopping. And I am, I am team Costco. How many Costco people in the house? No BJ's, no Sam's Club, Costco. Okay. I am team Costco, executive, right? <laughs> I've been Costco for such a long time. And, I, 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 and especially this past year, it was a little bit different going back to Costco because, you know, uh, you know one of the things that I, I love about Costco is just the experience and tr seeing people and all that. But there's a big lesson that I learned that I should have learned a long time ago, that I already know, is that never go to the grocery store hungry. Never go to the grocery store <laughs> hungry, right? And so this morning, again, I'm, I, I rush out. You know, I'm, I'm running errands. I did everything I needed. I was like, I got to go to Costco. Now, normally this wouldn't be a bad thing, right? Because Costco got samples. You know, everybody, hey, hey, don't act like you're not in the sample line. I'm, I'm there in the sample line, like, I don't, I don't pay for this membership, so I'm gonna get me, right? So, so I'm, uh, but, but especially in view of the pandemic and everything going on, the sample line was gone. No sample line. And so naturally I set myself up for failure, right? And so I go into Costco and I take my little red cart, you know what it is? And I'm, 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 going through the, I'm going through everything. And it, you would have thought that I was like on the new modern version of Supermarket Sweep, man. Because I was in there like throwing everything in there. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to need them. I'm going to need them granola bars. And I'm, I'm filling it all the way up. And I go, I fill it up, get my Froyo. I'm coming back home, you know. And, you know, you feel accomplished, right? You get back home. And I got into my kitchen. And the worst thing happened. You, you would have thought that Draymond Green poked me in the eye because I saw three of every single item that I bought, I'm like, wait, wait, okay, okay, I got tuna fish. Oh, okay, that was fine. I, get, I guess I got a lot more, you know? And, you know, I'm like, oh, I, oh, I, had, I had the potato bread. Okay, I guess, I guess I got some more potato bread. You know what I mean? I'm like, I got the eggs. I got the Kirkland signature. I got the eggs. I already had the eggs, right? Like, and I'm sitting there, and I'm frustrated because I'm like, I spent all this time. Uh, He-Man, because he, it's about the cardboard boxes. Once you get the cardboard box off, that's the He-Man strength. You have to get that in the car, and then, and then after that, you want to take a break, but then you got to unload it. So after I did all of that, to see all of that, it was like insult to injury, man. It hurt. But I think the, re the, the reality is, is that like, I was in such a rush <laughs> that morning 
I had this insatiable hunger. And these things don't really mix. What it ended up doing is that I, I was in such a rust, I had so much haste that I went in there and then I, I spent and I forgot all the things I already had. When you have this like insatiable hunger and you put yourself in these conditions of stress, of joy, and also I love going to Costco. I just wanted to be around people. I spent. Mm-hmm. I spent. And somehow while I was spending, it didn't cross my mind that I already had these items at home. Now, this is something, this is not just a me thing. This is, this is a we thing because Reuters Health actually did a study that said, especially if, you, if you're hungry and you do grocery shopping, online and offline, not only do you spend more and buy more things, you actually make worse choices. You actually buy bad, poor food. <laughs> this is actually something that's actually been studied in research. Now, one of the things is that when you're really, really hungry, when you have this insatiable hunger, this restless hunger, it distorts reality. You don't see things the way they are. You don't remember the things that you already had. All you see is what's available, and you think what's available is what's valuable. What's accessible is what's valuable. It distorts your entire reality, and I think the, one of the things that you find is that you're, you're led by what you most hunger for. You're led by what you most hunger for. And the thing for us, I think, for, as, for those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ, for those of us who believe in God, it, 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 we hunger for something that the world can't give us. We have this great, great insatiable hunger for affirmation, for acceptance, for understanding, for value, for dignity. But we go out hungry. And if God hasn't already filled us up, oh, man, we spend Oh, man, we, we, it distorts reality. Oh, man, we, we end up doing things and, and having our life grocery cart filled up, forgetting what we already have, and then somehow thinking that all these things in front of us are things that we need. And somehow, I think, we, we tend to make poor choices when we're not filled up by the one and the only one who could fill us up. Now, when I'm talking about this hunger this, this hunger for God. What I mean is that, like, it's not just, clearly, you all are here. You hunger for God. You hunger for experience. You hunger for learning. But the type of hunger, I'm talking about the type of hunger that only God could satiate is this deep nourishing of your soul, the, the, that inmost place, where deep down is behind your irritability, is behind your frustration, is behind why you work so hard, that hunger. Only God and God alone can nourish that. Because God has to feed you to lead you. God has to feed you to lead you. And when I talk about God feeding, I just mean that hunger, I'm talking about your greatest desire. God has to be your greatest thing that you hunger for. Because God has to feed you to lead you. And that type of feeding is that that is your core, your core. This beautiful psalm out of Psalm 42 and 1, it says this, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? When shall I come appear before God? I thirst, I pant for you. Literally, that hunger leads you to God. 
What this is saying is that you're going to be led by whatever your most insatiable, whatever you hunger for the most. So the real question for me here, and this is like, it's not so much whether God feeds us. We're here, we read the word, we worship God. It's what else is feeding you? What else do you hunger for? Has it overtaken your hunger for God? Which one's in first place? Which one? Because the issue is not really whether you're being fed by God. Again, the issue is really, really what's truly feeding you. Now, the other day I was on, on, I was on the internets. You know, we're all on the internets and social media. And I, and I came across this photo, fine. I, I just, I, I just it, it, it hurt me. It hurt me. It hurt me. Krispy Kreme burger. I'm not sure if it was bison, but clearly it was gluttony 101. Now, I love New Orleans. I love New Orleans. I spent my, 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 my summers in high school doing SOAR, a pre-medical program, uh, stress on analytical reasoning. So I love New Orleans. I love the, I love the, 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 the vibe. I love the, the accent. I love everything. And my introduction to Krispy Kreme came in New Orleans. It was 12 midnight. I was out uh, doing godly things. And <laughs> we came to the drive-thru. And the drive-thru, you would think it was a club, like, like, like there, there was cars all the way onto the freeway. And you know what they were waiting for? That fresh glaze. Donuts. So I'm not putting down Krispy Kreme donuts. What I am saying, though, let's put that thing back on there. I want, to, I want people to feel it. Yeah, that, that, there it is. What I want you to say, I don't care if you, have, you live on an oxygen salad diet. I don't care if you eat as clean as bleach. If you eat this thing... Furniture is going to be moving in your stomach. <laughs> Furniture is going to be moving in your stomach. This is not meant for us, right? <laughs> and here's the thing. The reason why we laugh is that we know what's going to happen right after. You're going to be feeling good. And then you're going to crash. And then you're going to be hungry again, right? Because you got in that empty calorie. Your stomach is hurting, everything like that. Because it's not just what you have, even if you have the good things. It's what else are you letting inside? You are what you eat. You are what you consume. And as Christians, we want to be Christ-like. So for us to be more like Christ, we must take in more Christ. But we're also taking in other things that is moving furniture <laughs> in our stomach, that is changing our day-to-day -day lives without us even knowing. And because I think that we're, we're conditioned in this consumerist society to think that more is better. I need more. I need more. Just put more. Krispy Kreme. It wasn't enough with the Krispy Kreme, right? You didn't have burger. More is better. More, 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 more. It's never enough. Enough is never enough. Enough is never enough. If I just have X, things will be good. If, if I just make it and I get Y, my life is, is going to be good. I just need this. More. Oh, no, 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 no. I know your kitchen is great. Wake up QVC in the middle of the night, but no, 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 what it needs is this. You're always in this consistent state of lack. And it's like us as Christians, whether you're a Christian, whether you believe in Christ or not, whether you're struggling and you're just, the reality is that you would think that we're all undergoing and experiencing starvation. With what's offered to us, man, we got to feed those people. They don't have enough. You don't have enough. More, more, more. And more is not always better. 
Because how could we be starving when we, who put our faith in Christ, serve an abundant God? The God who, even when 5,000 were hungry and starving, he fed them fully and still had bread and fish left over. How could we be hungry? What's missing? Where is the disconnect? Why are we in this unsettled state of hunger? Now, you add that with uncertainty. Add that with any type of stress and uncertainty. And tell me, I'm pretty sure everybody in the room is uncertain. What's going to happen this summer? Things going to open up? Is that thing going to come back? Will the job finally come through? I've been praying about this. Is it, is it finally going to come through? Will, will the health resolve for, for my auntie? We've been praying about that. Is it uncertainty? Will, will, will the Lakers be winners again? <laughs> I heard that no. I heard that no. It's the work of the enemy. All right? Will the Lakers be winners again? Will the Jets be losers again? Oh, I'm sorry. We talked about uncertainty. That's certain. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> Giants, we are here. Uh, how are you going to pay for this false tuition? Can your marriage navigate another difficult season like this? Can your child get through this difficult patch? Uncertainty. Now, when you have great hunger, unsettled hunger, and great uncertainty, Ooh, you get great compromise. You get poor decisions. You get anything and anything under the sun. And I think that's what we're living in because you're shopping for life's answers on an empty stomach. You hungry. But here's the thing. We're called and we're discipled. We are shaped to fill that hunger with God. Well, what ends up happening is that we fill that hunger with three things, lowercase g, God, consumption, convenience, and comfort. Consumption, convenience, comfort. And here's the thing, I, I, it's not that these things are bad. God, the God of creation, God gives us comfort. Uh, God offers convenience. Uh, God gives us things to take in, but it is a problem when those things become God. When our greatest hunger, that's what leads us. It's not God first. It is these things as substitute gods in our life. Now, the thing that's uncomfortable about this is because truly God, if we know the stories of the Bible, if we know the stories and the things that you have navigated, sometimes God's will lead you into places and seasons where you can't get more. We have to live on what you have. There are times with God's will that he leads you into seasons of inconvenience. And there's times when God, his will, his best for your life, leads you into spaces that are uncomfortable. How many people ever felt uncomfortable? Nobody in here. <laughs> because you're uncomfortable. Because God's speaking to you. God is challenging you. God doesn't want you to run out. God wants to feed you right now. And this is important because God has to feed you to lead you. God has to feed you to lead you. And why is this even relevant? Why are we even talking about this on today, the 23rd of May, 
is that a couple weeks ago, oh, last week actually, I was down the street at Island Christian. Shout out Long Island in the house, Pastor Chris Coates over there. And I preached over there and I talked about this. It seems like even though things are open up, we're just under this cloud, like this spiritual malaise. Am I the only one that feels this? This spiritual. He's like, yes, it is. <laughs> but it's this a spiritual malaise. But I would say it's just not spiritual malaise. This is spiritual confusion. There, I, it has ceases to amaze me the things that I see. Because when you're uncertain and when you have great hunger, you're trying anything for answers, anything for certainty, anything, anything to make you feel better. So I need comfort. I need to spend. I need to do all of these things. And so I've seen things even from Christians, from spiritists and psychics and, 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 and political parties and pets and things, all these things, inordinate amount of focus in a time of great uncertainty and in states of great hunger. Now, God has to feed you to lead you. Because if he does not, what's unhealthy becomes what's appealing. What's convenient becomes what's compelling. What's available becomes what's valuable. And before you know it, you look up and it's cost you more more than you have and were ever willing to pay. And this is what we see in today's passage out of the book of Genesis. If y'all have your Bibles, please bring it out. Androids 2, Genesis chapter 25, 27 through 34. And this is the story of Esau and Jacob. You kind of know, so I'll give you a little context. Abraham, Father Abraham had Isaac. Isaac is married to our sister Rebecca. Rebecca was childless. The Lord prayed, he prayed to the Lord on her behalf. She had a child, beautiful child. She became pregnant, but the pregnant was a little bit different. She felt a little bit different. Furniture was moving in her stomach. It says, literally, it felt like two countries were warring in her stomach. And the older would serve the younger. And then one would be stronger than the other. And that's the context we come in at. So let's reread from verse 27. Right now the scene is we come in on Esau, and he has come in from a long day of hunting. And his brother Jacob's out there cooking up some stew. Let's read. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for a wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He's hungry. He said, Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Jacob replied, first, Sell me your birthright. Y'all know what a birthright is. It's like your inheritance from your father. First, sell me your birthright. Esau, look, I'm about to die. What good is this birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore on an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left, saw Esau despised his birthright. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I'm not here to make Esau out to be some victim. Oh, poor Esau, oh no, pew, pew, right? I'm not 
here to make it out because if you actually understand the context and the revelation, the promise was given to Rebekah about what would happen. Jacob is Israel. So I'm not going to get into that, nor am I uh, going to make, uh, you know, Jacob into this great, non-deceiving, heel-touching person. What I am trying to do is actually to illustrate something about the power of hunger and how and why Esau, of all people, his father's great desire, his love, gave up something so valuable for some stew that he could have cooked himself. And my goal today is to help you all guard against discontent so that you will not be overcome by consumption, convenience, and comfort. So let's get into it. How to be fed by God versus the God of consumption. The big thing here is that God has to be your most important meal of the day. God has to be your most important meal of the day. In verse 27 and 29, it says, The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man on the open country. While Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Favoritism, that's not good. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. Esau was a very skillful hunter who went out the entire day and came back hungry. On top of this, this was what actually brought beloved from his father. Like his actual work, his actual spoils from his work made his relationship with his father stronger. So it doesn't tell us whether or not he ate before he left. Clearly, we don't know that. But what we do know is that this wasn't his first time around the rodeo. He had done this on a consistent amount of time. Now, the interesting thing is, like, with all of that, he literally just came in from something he loved to do, doing something his father loved, yet he gave something his father loved away so easily. Why would he do that? Why would he put himself, it literally says, I am about to die. Now, I know, we're, I know, I know we, we exaggerate, but I'm about to die. It seems a bit serious. <laughs> but he was that vulnerable that he was willing to give up something. I think for all of us, we're not going into a world we're unaware of. We understand what we see. Once you leave your home, once you even wake up and leave your bed, you're going to get taxed. <laughs> the child is coming. The cries are happening. And even if you're doing the thing that God has exactly called you to do, when you come back home, you're tired. Even when you're doing things that are life-giving. Is this true? Consistently. But the reality is that you understand the reality of what you're facing. You know that life is not easy. In this life, there will be trouble. And trouble face, it comes in, in your face daily. Am I not correct? And so it behooves us to prepare to go out so that we do not find ourselves in vulnerable positions where we're giving up valuable things because we have outsized hunger and then we distort reality and buy poor things that we thought was good. Growing up, uh, my parents, we, we, again, I talked about hospitality. Our parents always used to bring us to people's houses. We, didn't, we weren't related, but we called them like we were related. They're like, that's auntie, uncle. Don't you remember auntie, uncle? No, I don't remember them, right? You know, the, the children always remember that. They always act like you remember these people. 
and we would consistently go, and my mom, my, my mom would do it. My dad already know, but my mom would do it in the car. She would turn back to the kids, the four of us, and she would give us the same type of speech <laughs> before we left. She was like, don't you go in there and embarrass me. <laughs> and we sit back there like, you know, and, and she was like, don't you go in there and embarrass me. If anybody asks you if you want something to eat, tell them no. I'm like, mom, this don't make no sense, right? Like, I, I never really understood, right? <laughs> I'm like, like, don't go in there and eat anything. Why would we go to a place with food and we can't eat? I didn't really understand this. And then naturally you would go in and the worst is when you actually are hungry and then your, your auntie or somebody's coming there and just like, oh, gosh, would you want something to eat? No. Right? You're sitting there. You're like, I'm lying, mom. I'm lying. Right? But I never really understood why until a couple years later. We're like in their mind, right? I don't know if this is, I think this is a universal thing. Clearly I have some amens in here around this. It's like they just didn't want you to go in there because you had four growing puberty kids like you weren't fed at home. You're not going to go embarrass me. I don't want them to call CPS on me because I, they, you act and eat like I don't feed you at home. Y'all know this. You even know this. Even though you, you've been around this rodeo before, going to weddings. You see the time of the wedding. You're like, I already know. We're eating before we leave. There's this consistent thing. But the truth is, in this hunger, hungry things, are we going out into the world, Christians? Like our Heavenly Father hasn't fed us with anything at home. Hungry. We go out. More, 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 more. I'm not saying, and please, I'm not Mount Olympusing this thing. But for us, our antidote in a world that's asking us to spend more, give more, take more, more, often we get caught up into it as though our Heavenly Father hasn't fed us. Y'all, in the area that we see this the most is often in our spending. Now, I'm going to be very delicate with this thing. I think for many pastors, if you've ever dealt, did um, marriage counseling and the like, right, I've married 15 couples. And I've done marriage counseling. And you always hear the main causes of separation in marriage. And one of them is what? Money. And I remember I was counseling one couple and they were so excited to get started. One of the spouses was so excited to get started. They were the ones who actually reached out to me. And as we're going in, I'm realizing that there's a challenge and there's a spending issue. And they had all the money in the world. They're like, we're going to do this for six months. But the moment that we, I started to lean in, I see how uncomfortable she became. And somehow, the next week, they didn't have money for sessions anymore. Spending that we are spending and consuming and consuming and consuming, and it's even destroying our homes. And again, I'm not saying this from Mount Olympus. If you looked at me during Christmas, you would have thought I could have made the Rockefeller tree with the Amazon boxes outside my house. We all get pulled in. It's not like Christians aren't allowed to have good things, but are we really, are, are we good with what we got? How much is consumption destroying our lives? destroying our marriages, destroying our ability to move forward with that initiative. But if you were more responsible with your money, you could steward it well. All of these things are getting in the way, and we use consumption to make us feel better because it feels good to pay, to spend. Because God somehow is not enough. Our Heavenly Father has not fed us. But one thing that 
God is offering us is that one way to deal with consumption is to be fed by God. And the best way to be fed by God is to commune with God. And commune, even the connotation of communion is like breaking bread, having a meal with your father. That you would consistently, not just in the morning, but from the moment that you get up, consistently be in conversation, Lord, feed me because I'm going to be taxed. Feed me because they're going to act like I don't have things at home. They're going to act like I don't have enough. They're going to capitalize on my great restless hunger. Feed me, Lord. So when you look at your days, when you first wake up in the morning, do you read the paper or do you read the good news? God wants to feed you. God doesn't want you susceptible to this consumerism that's consuming you, but it's consuming your life. The Apostle Paul says this in Philippians. He says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in one, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. God has to feed you to strengthen you. And the stronger you want to become, the more you must commune and break bread with your father. Because God has to feed you to lead you. How to be fed by God versus the God of convenience. It's going to take some work. It's going to take some inconvenient work. Now, I love me some McDonald's. I consume McDonald's about two to three times per month on cheat days. And clearly, I'm in a room with non-McDonald's lovers. <laughs> and, you know, I, I somehow get this desire for McDonald's really late in the evening. I don't know what it is about this. But it's after 12, and I'm watching something that I didn't catch up on. I reclaimed my day, and I'm sitting, and I'm having, and I'm just having this, this, this big urge for McDonald's. And normally, I would get in my car, and I would go to McDonald's drive through That's literally me from two weeks ago. This is my photo. No, seriously, this is my photo. From two weeks ago, because my friend was like, where are you at? I'm like, yeah, McDonald's. Hi, click, click, right? And I showed him this, and they're like, you got a problem, man. You really do. I know their names. I know Natasha. She, oh, anyway. Um, but I could find myself ordering two Big Mac meals, no cheese, large fries, sweet and sour sauce. Sweet and sour. I'm like Polynesian, but like sweet and sour sauce for me. Two hamburgers. One honest apple juice, they allowed that, makes it make you feel a little bit better about yourself. <laughs> One honest, you have this grown man with the honest, honest apple juice <laughs> in the car. It makes it feel like it's coming down cleanly. And then one large Oreo McFlurry. That's me. That's me. Now, the problem is, is that I've held this, I said, you know what, I can't do this anymore. Even though it's cheat day, this is, this is, this is nasty. I can't do this anymore, right? problem with technology. Technology is not your friend. And we have this thing called Uber Eats. <laughs> Uber Eats makes it so quickly with little to no work at any time of the day, you can swipe and find yourself McDonald's in order much later than I should. And Uber Eats has made it worse. But the thing is, those fees, those things add up. Before you know it, you're looking at your bank account. <laughs> And you're looking at your body, and you're realizing the impact of these easy decisions over time. This was the situation with Esau. Esau, who not only could hunt, 
He can cook. You find that in chapter 27. His father, who was blind at that point, was like, could you make me something? He was a good cook, too. Found himself famished, desperately hungry, comes back, and now he faces his brother. And guess what he says in verse 29? Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. And just like that, he gave up his birthright. But in the moment, he didn't understand the gravity of what he did oh, so quickly. He didn't see the fees attached to the food. Ease doesn't necessarily lead you to better outcomes. What's easy doesn't necessarily lead you to better outcomes. Whether we're talking about Uber Eats, or what I like to call an Uber Eats faith. An Uber Eats theology which believes that it, if it doesn't come easy, it's not God. If it's not easy, if, it's, if it requires too much work, it's not God. Have you ever heard? It, it, it's not supposed to be this hard. Have you heard that? The question is, who told you it's not supposed to be this hard? Who told you a marriage is not supposed to be this hard? Who told you starting a new business is not supposed to be this hard? Who told you that, oh, no, I need to end this because I'm no longer happy anymore? How could you not be happy anymore? Every single day I'm sitting with brothers and sisters who are lonely by themselves and struggling just to live life on their own. What makes you think in a marriage you're going to find you're happy when people can't even find it on their own? It's not supposed to be this hard. Who told you that? Ease doesn't necessarily lead us to good choices, to better outcomes. Ease doesn't necessarily lead us closer to God. Ease. And things that come easy, leave easy. And if we are not so sufficiently filled by God, and then we are dealt with life, we do the default to this Uber Eats theology because we can't take anything difficult. We, we, we can't persevere. We, we can't work our relationship with time, our relationship with people. The biggest area where we see this manifesting is in our relationships with people. We no longer could suffer anymore. No patience, no grace, no space, because life is already too hard. I don't have space. I don't have patience. But if God filled us up, if God truly fed our hunger, we would have more space to love, more space to be patient, more space to hold on to relationships, more space to endure. You can't endure if you've not been fed, because God has to feed you to lead you. So you don't need to start over with a new project. You have everything you need for it to be successful. You don't need to start over with a new relationship. You have everything you need to make it through this. You don't need new, 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 new. God is enough. His grace is sufficient. He has given you everything. He has made you fearfully, wonderfully. He has designed and orchestrated your life. Do you believe everything you have in your life is enough? Or if one more thing, I'll be happy. Does it need to come easy? Because an Uber Eats faith always costs you more than what it appears to cost in the beginning, in the end. Because convenience is not God. And if you're led by it more than God, you'll neither be fed by God or led by God. Hmm. How to be fed by God versus the God of comfort. Y'all, in verse 34, um, Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank 
and then got up and left. And it says, so Esau despised his birthright. Now, the word despised, when people see that, you just imagine somebody with like the, the eyes glistening like, I despise this thing. But the actual connotation and denotation is careless. He said he was careless with his birthright. Now, typically, people tighten up, now that I'm saying, versus the God of comfort, lowercase g, God of comfort, because you're like, mm, I don't know about that, man. Does he read his Bible? Because it says, like, the God of all comfort in 2 Corinthians, like, not only will we share abundantly in his sufferings, we'll share abundantly in his comfort. What I'm saying is that, yes, but the God of all comfort doesn't mean that all comfort is God. If you pursue comfort, you're not necessarily pursuing God, but if you're pursuing God, you're pursuing comfort. Do we get the difference? But the truth is, like, let's not even make this too hyper-spiritual or anything like that. Sometimes the more comfortable you are, the more careless you become. Sometimes the more comfortable you are, the more you let things go. The more comfortable you are at your job, the more careless you become. The more comfortable you are in your marriage, the more careless you become. The more comfortable you are with what your parents let you get away with, the more reckless you become. The more comfortable you are, comfort often leads to us being careless. And the same was true for Esau. Now, if there's one thing that I'd ask you to do as a response to this is sometimes we need to clear our plate so that we understand what we have and that we can value it better. And so one of the things I would encourage people to do is a beautiful, beautiful thing is the actual practice of clearing your plate. Fasting. It's a practice that we all know, but I would encourage you before the summer even starts, before things pick up, before more things are on your plate, before you start to get comfortable again, and maybe sometimes careless, that you take one day, three days, or maybe seven days, and just fast. And then in those times in the morning that you would write three things that you're grateful to God for. Because often in us being careless, we forget the things that we have. We forget the value of the things that we have. We easily give things away. We easily don't value things. Because in fasting, you let God feed you. And every time you feel that hunger, you feel closer to God because you're reminded of why you're doing it. That's one thing. Because far too often, if we're honest, we don't appreciate the things and the people until they're gone. The job that you, at one point you prayed for that job. At one point you prayed for that relationship. At one point you were praying and crying for that child. But sometimes you get so comfortable as though God just does it and he's, you're entitled to it that you forget the value you forget what you have and the value of what you have. Because at one point you were praying for it. At one point you were crying for it. And somehow you've gotten so comfortable, even in your relationship with God, that you've gotten careless and you look and despise the things that he has surrounded you with, the people he surrounded you with, the house that he surrounded you with, the car that he surrounded you with, the health that he is imbuing you with, all of these things that you have prayed for. Have you gotten too comfortable? I think at some point, Esau, if you know the story, he realizes this a bit too late. You know? Abraham had been deceived again, or Isaac, rather. And he's just like, no, he deceived me for a second time. But that was far after he was sitting there eating his food 
enjoying it, and he said he got up and left, and he despised his birthright. Too comfortable. Here's the difficult thing for us on this side of glory. Some of those things, some of those mistakes we made, some of those times when we got so comfortable and we got so careless, some of those things ain't coming back. That relationship ain't coming back. That job ain't coming back. Some of those things may not. There's nothing worse than having a hunger that you can't satiate, a thirst that you cannot quench. There is nothing worse than that. But the good news is that there's nothing better than having a savior with all of the hunger, with all of the pain, with all of the longing, with all the things that we desire in this world as human beings made in the image of God, made to take in God and everything he has to feed us. There's nothing better than a savior who fulfilled it all. There's nothing better than a savior with his body broken for us, his blood poured out for us that will we eternally, forever, will be able to consume and commune with God because of what he did at that cross. He gave us his body, bread of life. He gave us his blood to cover us so that we will be well satiated in a world that keeps telling you you don't have enough. You have enough. His grace is sufficient for you and me and every single person here. That cross is evidence. That blood dripping is evidence. That cup overrun is evidence. That food that you're eating is evidence. That blood pumping, that breath pushing, everything is evidence. Every time you have life, there is fruitful labor for you. And you're well fed. But the better news is this. Because that son who did that at the cross, his father said something to us. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat of the summer. For the land at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear. Let us be fed by God. Let us be led by God. Let us pray, oh God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, Lord, that you have fed us with your Son. We thank you that each day, God, that when we wake up, we recognize we face a world that is telling us, we don't have enough. We are not enough. And God, through your word, through what you did in that cross, you have said it is finished. We're enough. Not only we're enough, we're worth dying for. And so, Heavenly Father, God, as we even move to communion, as we move to commune more with you as a result of this message, Lord, we pray that you will feed us. We pray that you will quench our thirst. We pray that you will be with us as you always have been. We pray all these things in Jesus, righteous holy and matchless in all filling name. Amen and amen.